right, yeah, come on, City First. Put your hands together. You happy to be in church today? Well, it's, I'm happy you're in church today. Uh, you know what? I want to welcome everybody joining us online right now and everyone at Cape Coral, Southwest Florida. Our God Behind Bars, Dixon and Hardy locations. We are so excited you are with us. If you're joining us at any God Behind Bars location uh, through the Pando app, I want to say welcome to City First. You're officially a part of the City First Church family. And then obviously everyone here at Spring Creek and our state line location. Uh, man, happy Valentine's Day or as uh, some people call it, Single Awareness Day, uh, right? It can be a little awkward. I, I realize that. It can be a little awkward, but I will tell you it is especially awkward for guys. And in general, we uh, guys are just not too good at expressing verbally our feelings to our significant other. And uh, Jen is always saying to me, she said it now for decades, she's like, you don't need to buy me chocolate. You don't have to get me any expensive gifts. I just want you to use your words and say, I love you. And you are beautiful with your words. And you know what? Evidently, uh, guys, that's important, the ladies, I guess, uh, that we use our words. Uh, so anyway, so I've been getting better. I've been getting better through the years, I think, and such like that, along with a lot of the rest of you guys. Um, but you know what? Valentine's Day, uh, I do what many of you do, and that is that I buy a Valentine's Day card, right? And I actually think the Valentine's Day cards were invented by guys. And here's the reason why. It's because some complete stranger writes something, and you go, yeah, I agree with that. And then you just sign your name and give it, right? So that, that, that works, right? Uh, you know, and so here's the problem. The problem is with guys is, is we think to ourselves, you know, I, I, I told you once that I loved you. And if anything changes, I'll let you know. You know what I mean? And, and all the women are like, boo, right? Come on, boo. I remember um, back in February of uh, a grade school year of mine, like we're talking many decades ago when I was in grade school, it was February, and there was a gal by the name of Corinne that was in my class, and during one of the classes, she wrote me a note, folded it up, had it passed, remember how you used to do that, pass it under the desk so the teacher doesn't see it, and, uh, and then it came to me, and I opened it up, and it said this, it said, do you like me, check, yes, or no, and there were little boxes next to the answers, you know? And, and here I am in grade school, I'm like, this is a lot of pressure. Like, like I, I don't know, I've never thought of Corinne as a potential girlfriend. I actually liked a girl by the name of Jean. Yes, her name was Jean, and we didn't date during the 1930s, but her name was Jean, all right? And uh, anyway, I like Jean, and then I was like, well, man, maybe, maybe Corinne is a better option. I don't know. So I, I checked yes. I'm going to go yes with this one. And I folded it up and scratched my name off the front of it and put, you know, Corinne and, and, and put it back. So anyway, so anyway um, I was a little nervous going through the rest of the morning because I thought, man, this is a big deal. And recess is coming. And you know, when recess comes, I'm going to have to talk to her. And I was getting kind of butterflies over this. So I went out on the playground for recess and talked to a couple of other guys. And I found out this, I found out that Corinne had, she had basically written every boy in the class, the exact same note, no joke. So this was not a Valentine's moment. This was a survey. This was like a census to see how many guys liked her, you know? Oh, the drama, right? Uh, I mean, how many of you would love to go back to the drama of grade school relationships? 
Nobody would want to do that. Well, I will tell you, it's funny, though, because no matter whether you are 8 years old or 80 years old, uh, relationships of all different types still have drama in our lives, right? There's still struggle and challenges and sometimes even heartbreak at any age. And I'm not just talking romantic relationships. I'm talking all relationships. In fact, today I'm going to talk about all relationships, all kinds of principles that can be applied to every type of relationship, no matter what your status is. Maybe you're single. Maybe you're dating, maybe you're married, maybe you're divorced, divorced and remarried, maybe you're widowed, maybe it's for a best friend relationship, or maybe a school partnership, a relationship, or even a business type of relationship. The principles of Jesus are for everyone because we all have relationships in our lives. In fact, someone many, many years ago said that life is relationships. Like literally, it is what life is made of. So some are romantic. And some are friendships, and some are family relationships. Those are ones that sometimes have a lot of drama, right? Some of them are work relationships or classmates. And so today, I want you to listen in and lean in and take notes because all of those type of relationships can have drama from one time or another. And, and so we're going to talk about how to have an iconic relationship. Last week, I introduced the theme of 2021 for City First, and we're calling it Iconic. Now, what does iconic mean? Well, iconic means that it is a likeness. It's something in the image of. In fact, we talked about if you're an icon, you don't get attention, but rather people see through an icon to something greater. And so Jesus, you know, is, is in a sense um, wanting us to be icons. Now, I know that sounds weird, but let me go ahead and, for those of you who weren't there, read Romans 8, 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image. The word image there in the original language that this verse was written in, which was Greek, the word image is icon, E-I-K-O-N. It's where we get the English word icon, I-C-O-N. And so this word image, we are to be conformed into the icon of his capital S Son, meaning Jesus, which means you and I are to be conformed into the icon of Jesus. We are God's icon. When people look at us, they should see Jesus. We should have the image and the likeness of Jesus. And by the way, this is something we work on for our entire life. You never arrive at this. And so today I want to talk about how to have iconic relationships. In other words, when people see our relationships, they see Jesus. Do you have a relationship that is iconic? In other words, do our relationships reflect Jesus? If anyone should be um, good at right relationships, it should be Christ followers, right? I mean... If anybody should have healthy relationships, it should be us as Christ followers. Amen? But here's the problem. The reality is that we struggle too, just like people that are far from faith. That we have uh, struggles and challenges, and, and some of our relationships are damaged, and there's baggage, and some of them are downright screwed up. And, and you know, at the end of the day, uh, we find good company in the relationships that I find or see in the Bible. In fact, the Bible is full of really screwed up relationships. Even Jesus's relationships were messed up, not because of him, but because of the people he was in relationship with. 
Like, for example, his good friends betrayed him at his time that he needed them the most. Or when he was hanging on the cross, literally dying, he, he's dying, he looks at one of his friends, a disciple named John, and he says, John, I want you to take care of my mother Mary. I need you to do that. Now, we look at that and, and say, oh, that is just, that's nice that Jesus is taking care of his mother while he's literally dying. And, but here's the backstory on that. Jesus had other siblings. Now, they were half-brothers and half-sisters, but he had other siblings. There were four half-brothers, and there were at least two half-sisters, which means there were six other siblings in the house, and yet none of them were there for Mother Mary, which means this. We infer that they all abandoned her because she was crazy enough to believe that her one son, Jesus, was the Messiah and the Son of God, which means that all of her other children most likely abandoned her. Think about the drama at family dinners, right? Joseph, Mary's husband, probably died somewhere when Jesus was in his teens. So therefore, Jesus was raised in a single-parent home. You know what? Jesus is, is looking at John and saying, John, I need you to take care of Mary. I need you to take care of her because there was actually a lot of family drama. How about in the Old Testament, David? We talk a lot about David, right? And if you go to Israel today, they would tell you that David is kind of like their George Washington or their Lincoln. I mean, they look up to him as a, as a, a, a king in the past that, that, that they hold in high esteem. But if you look at David's story, he had some really messed up relationships. Like, for example, he had an affair on his wives. Yeah, plural, wives. Back then, he had multiple wives. Jen always tells me, she's like, it's good that we don't have polygamy in America because here's the reason why most men can't handle more than one wife, let me tell you. And, and, and you know, David had many wives, and he had uh, an affair on all of them with the next-door neighbor. And, and so he had an affair with Bathsheba, and then he put a hit out on Bathsheba's husband, had him killed. I mean, I'm not making this up. And then later on in life, David's son literally tried to kill him and steal the throne. Like, I mean, this is, this is drama. This is messed up stuff. Or how about in the Old Testament, Abraham? You know, Father Abraham had many sons, okay? That Abraham... All right, Abraham, during a season of his marriage, actually lied that his wife was his sister. Like, I mean, like, how would that make her feel? I'm just wondering, okay? Or, or Adam and Eve. You guys all know about Adam and Eve. Well, one of their sons killed the other son. I mean, messed up stuff. Or a prophet by the name of Hosea. Hosea is kind of like what would be a modern-day pastor. Okay, they call them prophets back then. Hosea married a prostitute. The pastor married a prostitute. No joke. This is the stuff that's like on TMZ. You know what I mean? And, and her name was Gomer. I don't know which is worse, her profession or her name. And then Timothy in the New Testament. Two books are named after him. Timothy's dad was a pagan Greek. In other words, did not believe in Christianity at all. And so Timothy's mom and grandma literally raised him in the faith. In other words, the whole family didn't go to church together. Some of you can relate to that. Or after the flood, Noah. You know about Noah, right? Noah got drunk and did some super twisted bad things with his family. So bad, I don't want to say them because there could be young ears listening to me right now. Literally, that bad. 
or the Apostle Paul in the New Testament that refused to do ministry with a friend called John Mark, who, by the way, was the author of the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or excuse me, uh, John Mark, the uh, uh, Gospel of Mark, excuse me, Gospel of Mark. So Mark is what he wrote, and, and he refused to do ministry with him because he felt like Mark was a sissy, literally. He felt he was weak. And it was such a tension between friendships, it blew up his inner circle. Have you ever had an inner circle of best friends blow up because two people kind of get in a fight and they can't get over it? That happened to the Apostle Paul. Or Jacob, lastly, who pretended, this is so low, Jacob pretended to be his older brother to their blind dad. So their dad is blind, okay? And Jacob wanted the inheritance that Esau, his older brother, was going to get. And so Jacob went to his blind dad and lied to him and pretended that he was his older brother just to get the family inheritance, to get the blessing, you could say. I mean, think of how low is that to lie to your blind dad, right? You think that your relationships are bad. Anybody feeling better about their relationships? You want me to keep going? <laughs> you know? I mean, if you look in the Bible, I can't find one perfect family or relationship. Every one of them is messed up in one way or another. So when I say, if anyone should have an example or be examples of right relationships, it should be Christ followers. I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm not talking about being problem free. What I'm saying is, is this, maybe iconic relationships are not about relational perfection, but rather about relational perseverance. In other words, that you keep trying to bring Jesus in the middle of your relationships, in the middle of the failures, in the middle of the mess, and you keep believing that God is going to continue to help you be a better person in the relationship, that other person to be better also, and that soon you'll come through whatever drama, whatever mess that you're in. Because through the drama, if you trust Jesus, he'll get you through. I believe that. And maybe it's not about our relationships being struggle-free. You know, some of you, y'all got in a fight on the way to church today. But the minute you walked in, everybody smiles in the family, right? When you're just cussing each other out in the parking lot. I mean, that's what we do, right? We always put on, oh, we're great. We're fine. Everything's great. Well, maybe it's not about our relationships being struggle-free, but maybe our relationships being rescued by the power of Jesus. Maybe that's what it means to be iconic. Or maybe being iconic is not about having it all together, but allowing Jesus to come in to the broken places of our relationships and to bring healing and wholeness rather than to remain broken. Because each of those relationships that I just mentioned in the Bible, in one way or another, God literally used those people for his good. He turned around the crazy and he used it for his good. Uh, it wasn't always easy. I'm not saying there wasn't baggage, there weren't consequences, but at the end of the day, God can redeem. You hear that? God can redeem. And, and, and so could Jesus maybe do the same with our relationships, with our marriages, with our dating relationship, with, with maybe like our, our singleness, with our best friends, maybe with the divorce, maybe with the fact that that you know what, there's been tragedy in our relationships. Can, can Jesus really turn it around? Or, or are, we just, are we just playing church today? You know what I mean? 
Are we just hanging out today, hearing a good message? Or do we believe that God can literally do a miracle in our relationships? See, in Jesus' day, the average marriage lasted 12 years. 12 years. Now, that may come as a shock to many of you because you're, you think, well, man, back in Jesus' day, people stayed married forever kind of thing. Well, it was about 12 years, and here's the reason why. Two factors. Number one, the average lifespan back in Jesus' day was 40 years old. 35 years old if you're a woman and 45 years old if you were a man. So right at 40 years old. So first of all, many people passed on. But, but the second and probably one of the main reasons why marriages only lasted 12 years is because women would die often during childbirth. In fact, giving birth to a child was a very dangerous thing in Jesus' day and even all the way up to 100 years ago. In fact, um, the British government did a study about 100 years ago, and they found that giving birth to a child had the same survival rate as being in a foxhole in the front lines at World War I, literally. So women would pass you know, on giving birth to a child, and so marriages many times were cut short. But you know what's so ironic? In Jesus' day, the average marriage lasted 12 years, but today, the average marriage that ends in divorce only lasts eight years, less than even when childbirthing was very, very dangerous back in the day. I mean, why? Why is it? Well, it's not so much because now of death, it's more because of dysfunction. And so people are together in a marriage and they can't work it out, and for one reason or another, they just decide, you know what? It's better that we separate. So today, I want to give you some principles in our remaining time together, and these principles will help us be iconic. In other words, Jesus will be reflected in our relationships. But listen, you don't have to be married to put these principles into play. In fact, this is, yes, for people that are married, but it's also for future marriages. It's also for your best friend relationships, maybe even working relationships, all right? So listen closely to this. Number one is this. First thing about having an iconic relationship, you got to work on you first. I know we always think it's counterintuitive. We think it's always the other person's fault. If my wife would only, if my husband would only, if my boyfriend, my girlfriend, if, if my best friend, if my work associate would only, and then you fill in the blank, right? But it has to start first with us because many times we don't understand a lot of the dysfunction in relationship is our dysfunction that we brought into the relationship. And, and so many times people get married and they think, once I say I do, all the dysfunction from the past will stop and we will go into this happily ever after era of our life. But that's not true. The dysfunctional you just now walks into a marriage. And so we need to work on us first. The best way to do that is that you make the strongest relationship in your life the one with Jesus. Now, I know you're going to be like, oh, Jerry, you sound like such a pastor now. Well, I am a pastor for one. But number two is it is the truth. In fact, Tuesday when I was prepping, um, I got up early and I came out into the kitchen. We have one of those Amazon Echoes, you know, and I, I said to it, I said, um, I said, you know, Alexa, 
uh, turn on the kitchen lights, and there was just this kind of reddish-orange line through it, and she, she talked back to me. How dare she? She talked back, and she said, um, I seem to be having trouble connecting to the Internet. I'm like, oh, no. I'm like, our Internet's down, you know? And so I went down, rebooted the modem and the router and called Xfinity and you name it, and nothing was working. And so I just decided I need to start prepping this message. Jen had gotten up by that point. We got, in the, you know, packs ready for school. And, and so I'm trying to prep this message without really any connection to the outside world except for my phone. And finally, I did tether my phone to the laptop. But, but you know, it was just it was frustrating. It was frustrating. And as Jen is driving into work, all of a sudden I get this phone call, and she says, Jer, you know, without the right connection, it is really hard to function properly in relationships. I'm like, yeah. And then she said, you know what? There's a, if there's a disconnection from the source, you're not able to access the need that you need the need that you want. You know, I'm like, oh, uh, uh, okay, okay, okay. And then she said, if you don't have connection, you're trying to make important decisions limited to just your knowledge and your memory that you have without any access to greater knowledge and greater wisdom. And I go, I know what you're trying to do here. You're trying to help me with my sermon, aren't you? Because you're using this internet connection problem. I see what you're doing. You're using it as a metaphor. And she laughed. But the truth is, is this. If you're not connected to a greater source of wisdom, if you are not connected to the one that created you, that actually created you to be in a relationship, if you don't get wisdom from him, you're going to make decisions based upon only your understanding and your limited perspective. And it will diminish your relationships. So... If we're to be iconic in our relationships, we must be submitted. Here's the word that we don't like in America. Submitted, in a sense, to Jesus, who is our Lord. Lord means ruler over all. And receive instruction from him on our relationships. You know, even Jesus was submitted when he was here on earth. In fact, the Bible even says, and, and, and he's quoted as saying in John chapter 6, verse 38. And I have come out of of heaven, not for my own desires. In other words, Jesus, like, I'm not living my own life here, but for the satisfaction of my Father who sent me. In other words, Jesus was submitted to God the Father. And in the same way, we must be submitted in every area of our life, including our relationships. It's not the area that's off limits to Jesus' lordship. But rather, our relationships need to be submitted. So we got to ask ourselves, is this relationship my own desire or is this God's desire? I remember when 30 years ago today, literally 30 years ago today, on February 14th, I sent roses to a Bible class at Christian Life High School to Jenny Johnson. She went by Jenny at that point. She goes by Jen now, all right? But Jenny Johnson, I sent her roses, and I asked her if she would go out on a date 30 years ago today. And you know what? Before I did that, before I did that, and I'm not trying to sound like really pious here because you got to understand something. I had walked away from God. I was far away from God, came back to God, you know, got right with God, and, and worked on my own relationship with God. And then I asked God. I said, God... You know what? Who do you want me to date? Because before 
um, I dated Jen, I, I was a relational nightmare. I was a serial dater. I, I did not have good values and ethics. And I had a lot of baggage and a lot of habits and all those kind of things that many of us understand here, right? And I remember praying and going, God, should I, should I date Jenny Johnson? Because I was really thinking she was hot, you know? But just because you have chemistry with someone doesn't mean that God is blessing it. We have been created in his image, and we were created to have chemistry with other people. So when people are like, I feel this chemistry, well, you, you can have chemistry with anybody, all right? It's more, is God blessing it? And I asked God, and I asked some other people around me, some people that I considered kind of my spiritual mentors, and they all said, you know what, Jer, I think Jenny's a great gal, and I think you're ready to date, you know, and, 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 and went forward from there. But my point is, is this, God can only bless what is surrendered to him. And if you don't give him your relationships, how can he bless it? If you're not saying, Jesus, you're in charge of this relationship, how can he bless it? Because he can only bless what is surrendered to him. So we need to first seek him about our relational decisions that we make. Also, to have iconic relationships, we must... We must understand and ask this question. Is the relationship I'm pursuing, is it pushing me towards God or away from God? This could even be for your good friends. Like, you know, is it pushing me to a deeper faith with God? Or is the relationship taking me away? And this is both romantic as well as platonic relationships, okay? In other words, those close people to you are shaping your thought, your worldview, and your habits, studies have been done, that you are the sum, mostly, of the five closest people that you're in relationship with. When you think about that, that the people that you are closest in relationship with, a handful, they, they shape your worldview, they help you shape your convictions, they approve or disprove of your actions, they like or, 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 or dislike certain things that you do, and, and you begin to learn how to like and dislike certain things. It's mostly formed by the five closest people in your life. So here's my question to you. Who are the five? Think about it right now. Who are the five? Because I guarantee you, if I were to meet them, I meet you. And if I were to meet you, I meet them. So you have to surround yourself by people who push you closer to God. That doesn't mean that you can't be friends with people who are far from faith. I'm talking the ones that are closest to you, that you do life with. I mean, obviously, if you're married, married that's a spouse, right? I mean, if you're dating, that's probably including the person you're dating. You know, like, like the thing is, is who are the people you are close to? And you might say, well, I, I don't have those five, I mean, those five, man, I don't know if they're pushing me closer to God, maybe pulling me away. Well, I have a solution, shameless plug here, but it's an important one, the best place to find the five that are going to push you closer to Jesus is at church. Is It's it's a place of faith. And and the best place in church is a place called life group. And, and you get involved in a life group and begin to do journey together, journey through life. And, and listen, it doesn't mean everyone in your life group you should be best friends with. It also doesn't mean everyone in life group is perfect. But my point is you have the best chance of finding those five people in a house of faith and specifically in a life group. So give it a shot. I promise 
you will not regret it, okay? Like, we'll help you. Go to our app. Um, go to our website. Call us. Email us. We'll help you. We'll try to get you connected. And again, you might have tried a life group and you're like, uh, I didn't like it. We'll try another one. You had a bad haircut one day. It doesn't mean you don't cut your hair again, right? So, so try another one, all right? Also, to have iconic relationships, you got to make it your mission to help the other person's life win. That sounds so simple, but so hard to do because most of us enter into relationships based upon what we desire. But once you get into a relationship, whether that's a friendship or a romantic relationship, you should make it your priority to make the other person's life win. Say, where do you get that from? Jesus. <laughs> I mean, look at, look at Jesus's life. You know, he, he basically, he, he basically says in John 15, 13, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends exactly what he did he modeled it now he says go do likewise so the relationships that work are the ones that are involving people who are not selfish always asking about what they want but rather instead asking the other person what that person wants think about it if a person in a relationship makes it their number one goal to put down their personal agenda and help the other person's life that relationship is going to be safe. It's going to be fulfilling. It's going to be life-giving. It's going to be Christ-like. I would even say it is iconic to say, you know what? This safe relationship where the other person wants my best and I want their best. See, we serve Jesus. It's an upside-down kingdom. If you want love, he says, give it away. I mean, think about that. You want love, give it away. You want trust, be trustworthy and trust others. Like, you want your needs met? Meet another person's needs. If you want you, your dreams to come true, then help somebody else's dreams come true. See, it's, it's opposite of what we think. And yet, it's interesting because in relationships, if both parties make the other person's priority the priority, guess what? Both lives win, right? I can honestly say for the last 25 years that Jen and I have been married, that Jen has made it her mission to make my life win. And I would say this, that I hope that she feels that way because that's been my mission too, to make her life win. Now, we do not have a perfect marriage. We struggle. There's tough times, just like you. No marriage is easy. But I would say this, that God has blessed us because we've created a priority of the other person winning. Now, not all the time. Sometimes we get selfish, her more than me. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. It's a little too heavy in here. I had to cut a, a crack a joke. But even in friendships, make it your mission to help the other person win and see what Jesus does. Lastly, as we close, that if we want to have an iconic relationship, there must be togetherness. The Bible says oneness on important things in life. Now you may, especially in a marriage, you may have a spouse that has a different career, different hobbies, different goals, different desires. That, that's not bad necessarily. I'm, I'm saying this, that there are a few important things that you have to be on the same page. Like you can have differences 
but you have to have oneness and togetherness on these things if you want to have an iconic relationship. In fact, Jesus even said that him and the Father are of one heart and mind. There are some things that you must be in one heart and one mind, okay? And probably the biggest one is this. You must be together in faith. You have to be. Because if not, you're going to find yourself living in separate universes. In fact, it says in 2 Corinthians, it says, don't be mismatched with unbelievers. Now, now what that means is, is when it comes to marriage and dating and even your best, best friends, it's important to be matched with those that are followers of Jesus because the spiritual you is the most important you. And I'm not talking just anybody. Again, that doesn't mean that you aren't friends of people that are far from faith or don't have faith. I have friends that don't have faith. That is absolutely 100% okay. In fact, I would encourage that because Jesus had friends that were not of faith, you could say. But the closest friends, I'm talking the ones that you tie your soul together with. The closest friends, there should be oneness or togetherness in faith. Because otherwise, you're going to find yourself having this sense of not quite firing on all cylinders, you could say. Secondly, you got to be together and practicing faith. Like those are th things that if you're in a relationship, you, you not only need to be of the same faith, but you got to practice faith together. Again, different hobbies, different careers. But Divorce Magazine, and yes, there's a magazine called Divorce Magazine. Divorce Magazine reported that Couples that attend church and pray together consistently and serve together with their faith actually have a higher success rate of staying together. It also, in 2016, CNN reported that if you go to church, you actually, studies have shown that you live longer. <laughs> like the very fact you're here today, you're adding a little bit to your life, you could say. They, they said it's just interesting. People that go to church, that they actually physically live longer. Isn't that wild? 2016 CNN, you can look it up, okay? Now, it's not about just attending church. It's about putting into practice what you hear at church, which then gives you a life that hopefully is blessed and avoids certain pitfalls and things like that. So together, there must be practices of faith. It isn't just having faith, but oneness in practicing faith together. Go to church together. I realize, let me just briefly, and I'm out of time here, but guys, I realize that sometimes it's easier for those of you that are married, it's easier for your wife to take the kids to church. But can I tell you something, guys? It is so important that you model going to church so you come together as a family, husband and wife, children come to church. It's so important that you do that. And there's all kinds of studies that, you know what, kids turn out to not go into the, you know, ditches as much and, 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 and you know, get trapped in certain things and all that. You know, again, it's not perfect, but it's just better chance when the whole family attends church together. Those relationships that have togetherness in Jesus and they practice their faith, that they just end up being more successful in the long run. So we have to intentionally put Jesus in our relationships. And we need to intentionally walk out our faith together. Best friends, romantic relationships. And when we do that, we will not find perfection, but we are going to find the presence of God. And that will truly make our relationships iconic.
So as I close, I want to go back to my first point. You begin with you. Some of us today, maybe you're not connected to Jesus. Maybe you're not connected to him in a sense of where he is your leader and your forgiver. And I just want to give just a moment, just a second for us to just give an opportunity to anybody in the house that want to do that. In our service that we just had, there were multiple people that raised their hands and said, yeah, I want to, I want to make Jesus the leader and the forgiver of my life. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you've been watching online. You can do this right in your living room. So bow your heads, close your eyes. And if you say, the most important relationship that I desire right now is that I want to make Jesus the leader and the forgiver of my life. Bible says that that's Lord and Savior. If that's you, if you want Jesus to come into your life, forgive you of all that you've done wrong, have eternity as your home someday in heaven, if you want that, just go ahead and raise your hand and put it right back down. Yep, hands are up. Go ahead and put it right back down. I guarantee you at every location, even in living rooms all across this nation. So. Can we all just repeat this prayer after me? Let's say it all together so the people that raised their hands didn't, they're not saying it by themselves. And basically this prayer is just saying, Jesus, I'm making you the leader and the Lord of my life. So repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, I come to you today and I invite you to come into my life. Forgive me of all my sin. I believe you died for me. I want to live for you. I accept your unconditional love. Thank you for saving me in Jesus name. Amen. Can we give everyone who prayed that prayer uh, just a round of applause real quick. It's the most important prayer you could ever pray. Last thing, I'm going to pray for you one more time. You're like, wow, two prayers. Yeah, it's Valentine's Day. It's a double blessing. All right. So this is what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for right now for just real briefly for our relationships, for our relationships, because many of our greatest memories and greatest joys are in our relationships. Some of our greatest pain and greatest hurt is in our relationships. So let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for everybody married right now that's listening. I pray a blessing upon their marriage. I pray that God, you would protect their marriage. I pray you'd be the center of that marriage, that they would do everything they can to help the other person's life win. Lord, I pray for people dating right now, that God, you would bless those dating relationships, that you would be in the middle of them. And that Lord, you would give clarity to each party, whether or not this is supposed to be a long-term thing, or not. Lord, I pray that, that you would give guidance. And so I pray for protection. I pray that, Lord, there would also be just a sense of your conviction in that, in that relationship. Lord, I pray for singles today. Lord, a day like today where sometimes it's just a reminder. I pray that, God, that they would understand that they're in a season of preparation for something great in their future. This is not a season of drifting. It's a season of purpose. So, Lord, I pray that you would show them your purpose and that, Lord God, they wouldn't be thirsty. <laughs> Instead, that they would be prayerful and they'd be waiting and they would be vetting their future relationship through you. Lord, may they, may they seek you in these things. 
Lord, I pray for anybody that's divorced. God, today may be a painful day. I pray, God, you be the God of restoration. May they know that the best days of their life are ahead, even though that relationship ended in tragedy. Lord, I pray that you would restore, that, Lord, you would make whole again, that there would be hope, that there wouldn't be fear, that there wouldn't be bitterness. Lord, I pray that you would just do a supernatural work on their hearts. And again, may they have hope knowing that the future is bright. Lastly, God, pray for some very special people that even this Valentine's Day is the first, first one that they find themselves in a status of being widowed. Lord, I think of people that are in our congregation, faces, names that I know personally, that this is the first year that they are not with their significant other, maybe in decades. Lord, I pray that you would comfort. Lord, be the comforter. Be the one that is with those that mourn. I pray that, Lord God, you would help them to realize there is purpose in their life and that someday we will see that other person again in eternity. But in the meantime, God, I pray you would give strength, that you would show your love, wrap them, I pray right now, in your strength and presence. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Come on, let's give God praise. Can we do that?